Hey, I'm Asher. And I'm Jackson. And what you're about to listen to is strictly confidential. Welcome one and all to Strictly Confidential, your weekly updates in news on mechanical keyboards. You know them, you love them, mechanical keyboards. What's happening with them? We have Jackson here as always to tell us about the latest trends in mechanical keyboards. Jackson, uh, for first time listeners, and of course, everyone already knows, but what are mechanical keyboards? Well, I'm uh, Dr. Jackson. I've got a PhD as I started learning about mechanical keyboards uh, about uh, 72 hours ago, you know, hours, as we say in the mechanical keyboard industry. But uh, a mechanical keyboard is a keyboard that is typically just louder than a regular keyboard. And that's excellent, because when I'm typing, I want to make sure that everyone knows that I am producing content. I want people to know that the clickety-clack of my keyboard means that my mind is actively working, actively making stuff. And the louder the keys, the louder my content. You had a question about a particular kind of key, uh, Mr. Asher? Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, the KBD fan mechanical keyboard, the Tada 68, which of course is a fan favorite. And I noticed that the Gatoron Red is, uh, is slightly less expensive than the Gatoron Silent Black. Now, what are your thoughts on this? So that's, uh, that's a tricky thing because the silent switches are a little bit quieter while still being pretty much the same feel as the different, uh, as the as their noisy counterpart. So a Gatoron Red is going to be cheaper than a Gatoron Silent Red because the Silent Red has dampeners inside to make it a little bit quieter. Oh, isn't that awesome? Isn't that interesting? If you were curious about the difference between a red and a brown, perhaps, is the actual keycaps, a lot of people get this confused, the actual keycaps on top are not actually changing colors based on which different switch you get. So if you're looking at a Tata 68 with the market keycaps that it comes with, changing the switch is not going to change the keycap at all. The switch is what goes underneath, and I don't actually know whether or not the key, the switch changes color, but a Gatoron Brown is a tactile switch. So that means that when you click down, the point at which the the key activates, you will feel a tactile click. Whereas with the Gatoron Red, it is purely a linear, linear switch, meaning oh you will not feel that tactile click the oh same my God, way. You could, he could actually do this forever. He could actually just not stop. <laughs> I'm going to have to stop you. <laughs> Even though we all love mechanical keyboards because, and not my phrasing, but typing on a MacBook Pro, the ones that came out in... 20, uh, 2018 is exactly the sensation of drumming your fingers on an empty pizza box and it's terrible and we all love mechanical keyboards of course this ruse has to come to an end were you not expecting me to actually have that much content i forgot that you're actually obsessed with these things and it's probably a deeper well to fall down than most conspiracies this is probably more than anything else something that we're going to have to put a advisory warning on. Please Google mechanical keyboards responsibly because you will be spending the next three to four days searching for nothing else. And whatever you do, whatever you do, if you right now do not want to purchase a mechanical keyboard, do not go on the mechanical keyboard subreddit because you are going to go down a rabbit hole where every third thought of yours is, 
how do I spend $200 replacing the keyboard that I have that already works? How do I spend $200 on a hobby I found out on a podcast not even really related to that hobby? There's plenty of people who can answer that question for you. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, speaking of mechanics and the the wild ways <laughs> people dive into that kind of like clicky feature and like motherboards and stuff, today's topic has to do with airplanes. Yes. And uh, as much as I think maybe one of our fans may have wanted us to actually be a mechanical keyboard podcast now, we gotcha. We are still talking about the weird things on the internet and in history. So uh, today's topic is about a man named D.B. Cooper. D.B. Cooper is an unidentified man who in 1971, on November 24th, hijacked a plane in the airspace between Portland, Oregon and Seattle, Washington. He had a briefcase that had a what looked like a bomb. We don't we aren't sure it's a bomb in it and took it to the pilot and extorted $200,000 in ransom money and then had the plane land to let some people off flew had the plane fly back up into the sky and then he parachuted to the ground between seattle and portland oh my god and, and nobody has seen or heard from this mofo since essentially that felt like listening to someone describe the entirety of the mission impossible franchise in 10 seconds yeah so i think it's important that you pretend that this guy is a slightly less handsome tom cruise who is very likely still a Scientologist, but less handsome version of Tom Cruise. Not, not really relevant, but we were obligated to bring that up on this show. He purchased an airline ticket under the name Dan Cooper, but because of some like sloppy reporting and stuff, they got his name wrong. But the mystery here isn't whether or not he is Dan Cooper or D.B. Cooper. The mystery is what happened to him after he fell. Nobody has any idea, which is amazing to me. Um, nobody knew his real name because back then airport security was a complete sham. The nation trusting that the flight would be safe. Passengers on the flight all described him as a normal, well-dressed bourbon drinking man. And if you look up... <laughs> That's a pilot. Yeah. If you look up mugshots of this airline, not mugshots, but because they didn't find him, but illustrations based on stories of him. He looks very normal, which is probably a nightmare for police officers. Like if you can, if the guy that you're describing looks like a member of ZZ Top, it's pretty easy to find because there are only three of those boys in the world. But his normality was very much a part of his disguise, similar to people, how people now are talking about how charismatic Ted Bundy was and about how that was definitely a big part of just the tales of that serial killer. Yeah, I mean, looking at this guy's uh, police sketches, really the only descriptor that I can even pull out is old-timey-looking white man. And at the time, it wasn't old-timey. Yeah, so, and, like, the first couple of them actually include sunglasses, which is even less valuable, because anybody can wear sunglasses. But yeah, he's, he's a very normal-looking guy, and it's pretty pretty wild how much we know about this guy and have no idea what his face really looks like for a long time the fbi's claim was that they thought he had died in the jump but they had never found any remains leaving the world wondering where this magnificent boy had been yeah i i this is a case where i really think that they're they wouldn't have had any difficulty finding the body 
Right, because they did they lose the location of the plane at any point, or did they always know where the plane was and where he was headed? So they knew where the plane was headed. There was a relatively large area where he could have fallen, and it was forested. So it's not just like it's not just like I walk in, I don't see a body. He must have escaped. Okay, so it, it definitely wasn't a grassy field. This is this is Seattle, Portland. We're talking about and very very dense forest. And so there have been a couple like small signs of potential sightings. Like a year later, two women stumbled upon a skeleton in the area he would have fallen, but it was later determined to be a female teenager who had been abducted and murdered a couple weeks before, which is not a happy outcome, but it's the one. Uh, And then nine years later in 1980, an eight-year-old named Brian Ingram found three packets of cash that was all pretty disintegrated that the FBI confirmed to be a portion of the ransom. Interesting. And so that leads me to believe that he definitely survived the jump. He had a parachute, so that it wouldn't be that hard to believe that he survived the jump. Because why would his cash be so separated like that otherwise? Um, and I love this whole mystery because there's so much that could have happened. Yeah. Well, let's mis- go ahead and play detective and, and retrace some of these steps. Can we go back through the actual process of the ransom? So, yeah. Um, a little bit. So he got onto the plane, boarded as D.B. Cooper, because at that point, I mean, Mike Birbiglia talks about how uh, um, at that point, airport security was a high five and a slap on the ass. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at this point, it's kind of wild because all of the uh, he got on the plane, showed his briefcase bomb and the flight attendants and everything got together the right amount of money for him to have the money. Then he like went into the chamber where it like lets down so you can jump out like in movies. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Like the I don't know what that they would call that even uh, hatch. Sure. Um, escape hatch. Escape hatch. The escape pod, but not Star Wars. Yeah, the escape pod, but not Star Wars. So he went back there alone, took a parachute and like, I guess, carried the money in his arms. I mean, I don't have very much description on, like, what all he took with him, but he definitely took a parachute and $200,000, which um, today would be one and a quarter million dollars. Okay, but this is actually less complicated than I initially thought when you were describing it to me, because there's not really any correspondence with the ground, right? And there's not, the plane isn't landing and then taking off again. He's not really... No, so... There's not actually a so, bunch of moving parts here. He essentially he essentially just holds up the plane, but without a gun. He uses a briefcase that might be an explosive, or maybe he was just convincing enough to make everyone believe it was a bomb. No, so I think he actually did um I think he actually did bring the plane down. Um okay. So yeah, I'm reading this now. He So details, he handed a note to the flight attendant nearest him. The note said, miss, you'd better Or She didn't know what the note said, um, but she assumed that the note contained his phone number, which is amazing. (laughs) But apparently he leaned toward her and whispered the best possible thing in the world. Miss, you'd better look at that note. I have a bomb. (laughs) She unfolds it and it still just says, call me, with a winky face. <laughs> it's like, man, this guy is desperate. 
so she asked to see the bomb. He opened the briefcase long enough for her to glimpse the cylinders attached to wires coated with red insulation. Okay. He stated his de- he stated his demands that he wanted four parachutes, two for primary and two for reserve, and then a fuel truck standing by in Seattle. Okay, so they, they weren't they were I they weren't they weren't shambling together two hundred thousand dollars on the plane. Like people weren't just emptying their pockets out and then no. took all the, took all the cash and jumped. He wanted to have the money ready for him when he landed. And then he would make his getaway. So what he had them do is they circled Puget Sound for two hours to get the money and parachutes all together. He, they, um, like, stopped on the ground and got everything for him. I think they let the passengers off, flew back up, and then went, they, like, had him fly a specific, or he had them fly a specific direction. And then used the parachutes with the money and jumped. So there is quite a bit more detail than I gave you initially. But this is better thought out than I actually thought. I mean, the the briefcase bomb is at least a convincing prop. He's not doing the equivalent of sticking his finger through a hoodie and pretending it's a gun. I think there's a level of organization that's required to call it a ransom and not just a holdup. And I think even at this point of airplane security... People are going to recognize when something is or isn't a bomb. Or, like, if he, if it isn't a bomb, it's very, very convincing. There's a period of time where someone says, I have a bomb, and someone goes, oh, yeah? Let me see. <laughs> oh, yeah? Prove it. Uh, but, yeah, like, so this whole idea is wild to me because thinking about the fact that it is $1.25 million today Imagine having that much money in the middle of the forest and having in cash and having no idea what to do with it. Like I want, I've seen Breaking Bad all the way through twice now. And so I know that funneling money is not an easy thing to do. What do you think the long-term plan is for somebody doing something like that? I don't know, but I actually do think he had a plan. This, this felt coordinated enough that the guy would know how to handle the money afterwards. Yeah, a part of me thinks that he like coordinated enough to where he landed near a boat or something that he had and like took that boat somewhere, maybe far enough down the coast where people wouldn't connect it to this plane situation. But my my wonder there is what he would do with the money after that. Just live it up, man. Move to Tahiti. Yeah, I mean, that's not a bad solution. <laughs> I guess the answer is probably too simplistic. I don't know. The... The way that it would be handled is something that I'm almost proud to not know because I'm not a criminal. But I would be interested to learn about yeah, those, so this is those the logistics. Whole struggle here is that I have no idea how you would handle having this much money and using this much money and not getting contacted by the IRS or anything like that. Because like imagine if you one year went from having however much money you have now to 1.25 million and trying to explain to the government on your tax returns, like typing into TurboTax, I stole this. (laughs) Like, how do you figure all of that out and figure out what you're going to do with that? But the, the money part of it isn't as interesting to me. The interesting part to me is that this guy got away completely scotch free. There is a chance that he died in that, in the forest there and that the rest of the money is yet to be found. But that's not what I'm believing. This story has been become kind of, 
and anybody could be right kind of mystery because there's so much possible and such little concrete evidence. A year right. later, a guy, a guy named Thomas Colbert reported that he had received a letter from Cooper talking about how dumb the American government is. Um, and so this is like the biggest break in this case since then. Colbert joined the public in 2017 thinking it, in 2017 that the public was thinking that a man named Robert Rackstraw was the fugitive. And Colbert's actually built a website. I think it's just called dbcooper.com. That's better than most of our one-man websites. It's actually, I mean, it's not amazing, but it's also, uh, it's not TimeCube, about how Rackstraw is Cooper. Also good on him but, for grabbing that .com and not .sourceforge, .runescape, .blogspot. .io. <laughs> Although they do have fun Flash games there. <laughs> Amazingly, the website never even claims to say that something like, I believe Rackstraw is Cooper. It, everything's framed as Rackstraw hijacked the plane. It's not, it's not structured like, these are my beliefs. It's structured like, this is true. I'm telling you this is true. This is history. And Rackstraw's been kind of harassed by this guy to the point where he's suing Cooper and like has been... Like people are pitching him to do movies about this whole situation of him being claimed to be D.B. Cooper. And all of this has happened 2017, 2018. So it's recent stuff. But the so the FBI considers it circumstantial Rackstraw, like looking a little bit like him, which is having similar uh, address to where this guy would have got the briefcase and created the bomb. But the FBI considers it circumstantial, and that makes me pretty inclined to agree. But there's also a huge part of me that thinks it's been 48 years since this happened. If he's living among us at this point, he kind of deserves it. You know what I mean? Now, Robert Rackstraw, is this a is this a name that I should already know? Is this a is this a public figure? Or is it just the name of a guy that 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 is uh, believed to be linked to DB? As far as I can tell, it's just the name of a guy. It's just a guy who is linked to this and like lived in the area from where the um, the ticket was bought. And obviously the ticket was bought in cash. Um, this guy like made sure everything was taken care of. The, the briefcase was identified as a certain kind of briefcase that could be bought in the area of Rackstraw. But other than that, the... It's kind of a reach claiming that it would be this guy. But Although, there have been a lot to, of, Go ahead. There have been a lot of people like Fox News San Diego says legendary hijacker DB Cooper alive and well in San Diego, filmmakers say. Yeah, and I'm looking at that exact article right now. It says a group of documentary filmmakers say the man responsible for the infamous DB Cooper hijacking in seventy one, he lives in Coronado. They say the, the his name is Robert W. Rackstraw, and he has a, a yacht named Poverty Sucks, docked in Coronado. <laughs> Can we talk about how good of a name for a yacht that is? <laughs> the SS Poverty Sucks. I now I'm only imagining coming up with different names, like very specific, very specific names for stances I have. Naming if a this, yacht like that. If this is something that you got away with, it would definitely go to your head. You're arrogant at that point. If you successfully hijacked a plane and made off with a million dollars, you got to feel pretty good about yourself 
And I feel like just overtly flaunting it is what's going to be the ultimate downfall of D.B. Cooper. And it's going to be naming your yacht that you have docked in front of your ginormous house in California, the SS Hijacker. So I'm actually looking at the same article. Further down, they talk about how apparently in the 1971 letter, the hijacker said he used face putty to disguise himself, meaning it could genuinely be pretty much anybody. Um, but that's another reason why Rackstraw doesn't make as much sense because he looks like what the, which is probably a pretty bad insult. He looks like the face puttied guy. <laughs> Now I can't stop thinking of funny names for boats that are like the SS. I can afford a yacht, but my Wi-Fi is still terrible, question mark. <laughs> but yeah, honestly, the, the wildest thing, the wildest part of this whole thing to me, though, is that D.B. Cooper's plane ticket from Portland to Seattle was $20 cash. He's in the black. He's made a profit. <laughs> Without a doubt. Because now, yeah. if you if you take if you make a flight across country, and you steal one point four million dollars, it's like, well, how are you gonna afford the how are you gonna afford the Uber to get home? You can't pay Uber in cash either. Can you pay Uber in cash? I don't think so. I actually, I don't. Yeah, I that's, don't think so. That's the story of DB Cooper, the mystery flying man. I didn't get a chance to mention something that would make me look smart, although it was just a relevant Google search. But the Federal Air Marshal Service was established in 1961, and this hijacking took place in 1971. Because I was wondering where the Air Marshal was in this whole situation. Although Air Marshals are not actually present on every single flight. It's only certain commercial flights. And I feel like for a, a what is essentially a, I mean, that's a short flight. And probably not worthy of of having a trained armed police officer on board. So probably just wasn't present. Yeah, but yeah, I I mean that's the story of DB Cooper. Well, I still believe that if they didn't find the body, he got away scotch free. He lived it up in California for the rest of his days. Maybe still alive now, spending his all of his uh, leisure time on the beach and. During the hot, hot summers, he goes skiing and enjoys the slopes, getting a little bit of that fresh mountain air. But uh, we don't have we don't we don't have to be millionaires to to enjoy such a leisurely luxury activity. We can hit the slopes whenever we want to, Jackson. Are you mispronouncing the word Snopes? Oh, excuse me. Snopes. Hit the Snopes. At the beginning of every story, you need to find some way to relate it to the listener, and sometimes that can be in a very forced, unnatural way, asking a question that pretty much everyone would have the answer yes to. For example, Jackson, have you ever been to a dollar store? Yes, Asher, I have yes, been to have. a dollar store. Have you noticed that some of the goods and wares that a dollar store sells is not of the utmost quality? I have noticed that, Asher. Especially when we're talking about the toys. The toys in a dollar store, infamously cheap, very flimsy knockoffs. Usually to great comedic effect. 
blatantly ripping off a intellectual property that is copywritten, but just barely skirting the uh, the uh, barely skirting the issue as to avoid any legal repercussions. It's not Mario. It's a uh, Italian action man, etc. Well, it's very common to have very hard-lined, like, boy toys, girl toys, pretty pink plastic princess stuff, and dino race cars. Recently, though, one princess wand that was available in, in United States dollar stores got people's attention not just for being hilarious and cheap, but legitimately terrifying. It's called the Evil Stick, and the article reads, Evil Stick Princess Wand Images Horrify Parents. The claim being that a dollar store, Princess Wand, and do I need to go into detail as to what a Princess Wand is? I'd like you to, yeah. It's a little bit like a scepter. I mean, essentially, it's Sailor Moon, and there is a, I think, probably illegally used image of an anime character on the packaging of this. Princess, Princess Wand being kind of like a magic royal scepter thing. I don't know. It's for girls. They love it. Although it's called the evil stick, which is a little bit concerning, but nothing else really conspicuous going on. Just a plastic stick with a reflective flower shape on top. But in 2014, this thing surfaced in the United States in Dayton, Ohio. But according to a news outlet in the Dayton area, mother Nicole Allen purchased this very nondescript pinkish orange scepter style wand for her two year old daughter at the dollar store in Linden Avenue. When she unpackaged it, though, she found it contained a foil flower cutout that could be removed and revealed a terrifying image of a young girl with glowing red eyes slitting her wrist with a large knife. What? <laughs> oh, did that, did that take a bit of a turn for you? It did for everyone who had purchased the evil stick as well. And you could say that, you know, as the owner of the store, Amar Mustafa said, you should examine the things you buy for your kids before you give it to them. This is something that could be completely missed by anyone, even with the name Evil Stick, because the image is hidden underneath this foil sticker. And the image is actually pretty upsetting. It's poorly photoshopped. Oh, and by the way, this is real, if you didn't catch but by uh, how specific these details were and my incredulous nature. This actually exists. The origin of the evil stick is pretty much unknown, as most toys in dollar stores are. The Chinese manufacturer is kind of hard to nail down because uh, if there is a legal dispute over the content, or there, if, if a company who owns a character says, hey, this is too similar, then the dollar stores aren't really liable for selling them. Hmm. Mustafa said that the evil stick may have been a leftover Halloween toy, but... When we visited the store, we being the reporters in this situation, they were placed with Barbie dolls, tiaras, and other girly toys. The toy resembled a typical store off-brand merchandise, which is not infrequently foreign-made, poorly labeled, or otherwise not different from non-discount merchandise found at large retailers. Uh, Alan, the mother, the mother who reported this, Alan said that she was angry when her son removed the foil to reveal the picture, and that the toy admitted a menacing laugh making it even scarier. I'm outraged over this. I want to know how they think this is suitable for a child. So the box had a picture, but it was covered in a sticker? Exactly. 
there is a sticker hiding this image of a young girl with glowing red eyes holding a kitchen knife up to her wrists and there is blood it's a, it's even though it's poorly photoshopped it's it's pretty upsetting especially if you're a young girl and you aren't expecting it and there is nothing else on the packaging that would imply that this is intended as a halloween you know like in halloween stores we have the pictures where you move from light right to left and it's the hologram and it shifts to a scary face yeah it's it's usually pretty well uh communicated that this is a halloween toy because the frame will have like a plastic skull on top yeah this thing is so baffling that it has kind of started it's like a lot of uh youtubers are trying to get to the bottom of it as evidenced by this video i'm looking at now called everything we know evil stick (laughs) here are the details that we know inside amidst life-size models of lemons and oranges and a wall of plastic toys for children is the evil stick the evil stick costs two dollars the evil stick is pink with the addition of three 1.5 volt batteries and the flick of a heart-shaped on-off switch, it can, quote, cast shadow the function, according to the packaging. Its wand form, complete with elegant curly cues, is topped with a five-leaf clover design and a mirror that, fittingly, horribly distorts your features. Despite its evil status, it can, quote, send out wonderful music. Despite its evil status, it is suitable for children ages three and up, not suitable for children under three years. Most disturbing, though, the dark and deeply enigmatic promise, I can send out the luster of the beauty, the evil stick. The evil stick. This kind of, this feels like commercial prankery. One time I was gorilla pranked like this when I was 12. It reminds me of when I was 12, I had a half price books near my house. And so I biked to it, got there. And at that point, I was buying a lot of CDs because my parents' cars only had CD players. So I bought a CD that was Welcome to the Black Parade by My Chemical Romance. Took it to the counter, bought it, took it home, put it in the car. It was not Welcome to the Black Parade. It was instead a Nickelback CD. (laughs) You got got. That makes me think of Project Mayhem from Fight Club. You know what I'm talking about? Have you seen Fight Club? I have, but you would actually have to remind me. Okay, so I know we're really, really, really not supposed to talk about the movie, but... The um, one of the things they do in it in Project Mayhem, and they actually describe this a lot better in the book, which I'm actually ashamed that I've read that book. But the uh, (laughs) what they do in Project Mayhem in the movie is they will sneak bad stuff like bad versions of the regular stuff into situations. So like since we're talking about planes, I'll talk about the plane example. They fully. print out a version of the like safety guide with all the safety illustrations, except they make it terrifying. And so it's the same style and everything, but they put it in the, they like sneak into the airplanes and put them in the airplanes. Like, well, that would have been convenient to know when I brought this story. This is, that's exactly what I'm trying to describe. This is real life project mayhem. This is someone who's being repressed by the man and just needs to get back at the world in the subtlest ways possible, ways that can't be traced back to them. Project Mayhem, Evil Stick, Snopes.com. 2019, forever. (laughs) Dark edition. I imagine that these will very soon be completely recalled. Maybe recalled is the wrong word. Thrown in the dumpster by any 
dollar store that is selling them, these might actually be pretty valuable. This actually might be the most valuable dollar store piece of plastic of all time. If it reaches enough of a phenomenon and enough internet hype, people are going to want these just for the novelty of having them. So actually, if you see an evil stick at your local Dollar Tree, be sure to pick that up. Might be able to flip that around. HGTV, flip my stick. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be on HGTV. Maybe HBO. <laughs> but that's all I got. I want to go ahead and start wrapping up the show. want to thank Glenn Merle for our theme song, Threadbare. That's off the album Burn to Proof. You can check it out at glenmerlemusic.com or Spotify or iTunes. Places that stream music will probably have his album because it is music. And if you want to keep up with him, be sure to check in frequently because he has a new album coming out soon. No specific date, just promised soon. Hit the Snopes theme song was created by Connor Voigt. Thanks to him for gifting that to us so generously. We love that. It's a bop. Yeah, it, it slaps genuinely. Uh, it definitely increases our production value. Uh, yeah. Uh, if you want to follow us on our social media, Strictly Confidential Show is our Instagram and our Twitter is S Confident Show. And we've gotten into a better groove of posting on there. And so we're trying to get active and get where you can follow us there because we know that's a good spot to know what's going on. I know every time I open my podcast app, I get delighted to see that there are new episodes, but it's a lot easier if I can just see it on an app I'm already looking at. Uh, yeah. And then if you want to reach out to us with any information or you want to come on our show and be a guest, or if you have a cool link you want to send us, shoot us an email at strictlyconfidentialshow at gmail.com. We do love guests because we love interview episodes. So if you have a theory or a legend or have seen a monster yourself, we'd like for you to come on the show and talk about it. Also, if you enjoyed our show, then be sure to tell your best friend. They would probably enjoy listening to it too. And if you also really enjoy our show, leave a review. We uh, have read that that's very good for helping our show get bigger and getting it in front of more people. So do that. But if you have bad opinions of our show, just email us and don't review it because that gives us a worse review. Is that all we got? That's all we have. Well, I've been Jackson. And I've been Asher. And as always, this has been your local mechanical keyboard show, Strictly Confidential. And as we always say on this show, keep clicking. What? I couldn't hear you. I'm typing. <laughs> <laughs>